I get verklempt at this time of the year. I get like Leanna and Joel, this is their last time leading us in worship. Oh. Hey, Joel, remember that time when I was praying and you dropped your baby? <laughs> okay, so funny story is he told me that today. And he's like, Kim, do you remember when that happened? I have no memory of it at all. <laughs> But we love good stories like that. And we've been talking about stories that Jesus has been telling. And uh, so one day, Jesus brought all of his disciples together and he says, Psst, Psst. I got a story for you. And so he says, In a certain town, there was this judge who neither feared God nor cared about people and cared about what they thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice again for, uh, against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you want here because you keep bothering me. I'll see that she gets justice because she will eventually come and attack me. This is the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. So in this story that Jesus gathers his disciples together and says, hey, this is the story here. There's this certain judge and this widow. We've got these characters. And these characters that we can kind of like, we kind of get them, right? Like here is this widow who represents people who are helpless, who are experiencing injustice, and we kind of get, we kind of get what she might be like, right? Like, we're not, maybe, maybe there's, maybe we're not in the room, a widow, but, you know, we kind of get, here's this woman who's in distress, and now, she's a widow, but she might not be old, okay? Like, she might not be a grandma, Like, that's when I think of a widow, I think of a grandma. She might not be a grandma. She's just disenfranchised. She's just doesn't have a husband to take care of her as society would, would allow. And that would be way, the way that things go. And this woman, she is tenacious. All right? She is tenacious. Actually, we can even go to the next slide there, Joyful Jorah. Yes, these are the characters, the widow. She is tenacious and she is persistent. And this tenacious and persistent woman of prayer is a type of person that Jesus says, hey, like, this is really great. She's really great. Jesus is using her as an exemplary um, uh, person. But then we've got the judge. The judge in our story Well, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't like people. Sounds awesome. He's fiercely independent man. He has a moral obligation. So his, his job as a judge, he has a moral obligation to take care and be sensitive to people like this widow. It's his job to do that. 
And God has some serious expectations for people who do this job and for people in general. In fact, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 2, God says this. Okay, he says, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry and my anger will blaze against you. Blazing anger from God. Does anybody like... Not, like, that feels big to me. Okay. That feels big. Blazing anger. <sighs> okay. So he has a moral responsibility to take care of this woman, to get the justice that she is seeking, and he's just reluctant to do it. He's just being a stick in the mud. Back to the woman for a second. Back to the widow. So to the judge, she's annoying, right? She's annoying. Does anybody here have a little sister? I'm a little sister. <laughs> right over here. Yes, I can say that it has been my life's ambition to be annoying. That's like I just like slide right into that sometimes. And some of you are the result of this. Like for example, there are many of you who have tried to go up the elevator from the first floor and for you just, the door is about to close, just about to close. And you're thinking, I'm going to head up. I'm going to head up to my room. And no, the door opens wide. And where are you? Still on the fourth floor. Because who pushed the button before you could get up? Me. Me. Because I'm an annoying little sister sometimes. This woman is annoying to this judge. So, she has, but she's been exploited. She's not being annoying because she wants to be an annoying little sister. This isn't being annoying for annoying's sake. She's annoying to the judge because she's persistent. Because she has been, she is in, uh, in the place of, um, she's being uh, mistreated. And so she's going to the only one who could bring justice into her life. She's going to the only one who could right the wrong. And he's seeing her as annoying. In the Greek, it says that he's, she's causing him trouble, and that he would wear her, or she would wear him out. The funny thing for the judge, so his reputation, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what his reputation is. He doesn't care if people like him. He, isn't, he doesn't care if he's considered fair. But he finally gives in. Fine. Fine, I'll vindicate you. Fine. The only reason why, it says in Scripture, is that because, because she's so tenacious, it says, that the Greek word says that it's like, he, she's, he's even concerned that he's going to like, or that she's going to get physical, like as if he, she would give him a black eye. Like, that's the context here. Like, she's so in his face, she might give him a black eye. Fine, I'll give you the vindication. These are the characters that are in this story. Now, there are some other characters that are attached to the story. They're not in the story, they're just attached. And so the adjacent characters are the disciples. So because at the very beginning of our story, he goes, hey, disciples, come here. I got a story you. I got a story for you. Come, come. So he tells the story. 
I've got this story. But he tells the story because the story has the context, right? Like, he doesn't just out of the blue one day just say, Psh, I got a story for you. No, the story has a context. So we look a bit further back in the text. And we find that in chapter 17, the Pharisees, this is the other people of the text, the Pharisees have questioned Jesus. They've questioned him about the kingdom of God. And when's the kingdom of God coming? You say it's going to come. So when's it going to come, Jesus, is what the Pharisees ask. Ooh, ooh, now we're getting into context. Ooh, very exciting, very exciting. Okay, so this is the context here. We see Jesus sharing his parable because that, like, this parable is not really about, it's about persistent prayer, sure, right? Because it says, the story, here's a story, Luke says in 18.1, here's a story because you should pray and never give up. But we have more context than it's not just a story about prayer. It's a story that's responding to a question from the Pharisees. And the question is, you say the kingdom is going to come. Well, when is it? And Jesus says this. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that you can observe. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Hmm, clear. Okay, so then we see, we continue on and see in chapter 17 that again, so the Pharisees ask this question, what's this thing about the kingdom of God? Oh, and he says, it's in your midst. But then he says, hey, disciples, we see in, in, in chapter 17, hey, disciples, actually, he says to them, the time is coming this is 17 verse 22. The time is coming when you will long to see the one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. As Jesus is responding to the disciples and responding to the Pharisees regarding the kingdom of God, he's introducing the concept of the already and the not yet. He's saying in verse 1 or verse 21, he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I am the son of God, he's saying. I am God, Emmanuel embodied the kingdom of God in your midst. But verse 22 says, the kingdom of God will come. The son of man will come suddenly like lightning. The already and the not yet. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom presence and the kingdom return. And so then he's telling us this parable, right? A parable is the story that lays alongside the teaching, lays alongside the issue. And so he says, as you're waiting, as you're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God to fully arrive, 
As you're waiting for the return of the Son of Man, here's a story. Here's the story. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. Give me a black eye. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, the son of man comes, sorry, however, when the son of man comes, Will he find faith on earth? This parable is all about waiting for Jesus to come back. That's what this parable is about. It's a waiting parable. Jesus recognizes, though, that as we wait, there's injustice in the world. There's persecution that happens. And so he tells this parable alongside and gives direction and encouragement. As you wait, there will be struggle. But here's here's some insight for you. Here's some encouragement. And so here we go. Here's some encouragement for us. As we wait for Jesus to arrive, first, prayer during times of injustice. We see this through the life of the woman and through the widow. At the, at the base of this parable, this is what we see, that this, this sense of an attitude for believers to turn to prayer. Prayer is supposed to be our response to injustice. And like I mentioned before, Luke makes a point, a very clear, clear point in verse 1. He says... And here's a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now that we know that this text has everything to do with Jesus' return, the concept of not giving up has a little bit different understanding, doesn't it? Luke highlights that no matter what happens, as we wait, no matter what happens, it's important to maintain faith in prayer. The parable challenges us to turn to God and rest in his promises, to rest upon him. What's what's neat, um, and just the timing of where we are in the Christian calendar, and um, see, Jesus aligns himself here. He recognizes there's injustice. But he aligns himself with those that are infringed, those who have experienced injustice. And this is what we, we, we honor and we celebrate this weekend. Jesus knows suffering more than we will ever know. More than we will ever know. And, 
And we will, we will take time to, to honor, to respect, to reflect, and to celebrate that over the amount of years that we are here on this earth. But Jesus, he says that suffering is going to happen. I'm going to even take it on myself. But the widow who is, who is suffering, who is experiencing injustice, it could go a couple of different ways for her. Because it goes a couple different ways for us, doesn't it? She could be consumed by it, right? She could be consumed by her plight. Overcome. Not make her way to the unjust judge. She could be consumed. She could also decide to, like, punch him in the face, give him a black eye. She could also seek out her own justice, right? Well, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it myself, right? Roll up her sleeves, get all girl boss out there, you know? <laughs> but the widow challenges us. The widow is, is in this story challenges us not to placate to our plight, but that we will position ourselves when we're in places of, of injustice to position ourselves in prayer. Don't placate position ourselves in prayer. So if we placate, if we go that direction, what happens is we fix our eyes on the temporary circumstance. That's what happens, right? We know that. When we get so focused on the injustice, when we get so focused on our suffering, we get so, um, in, so zoned in on the temporary circumstances of our lives. But if we position ourselves in prayer, what that does is it fixes our eyes on the returning Christ. It fixes our eyes not on the circumstance, but on the one, on the only one who can right the wrongs. It fixes our eyes on him and not our circumstances. And when we fix our eyes on him, we know, we know that that holds hope. Looking into our circumstances is despair. Looking into Jesus is hope. Romans 8, 18 to 25 uh, speaks about that prayerfulness in suffering, living in this and living with hope. It says this, Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looked forward to the day when when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including our new bodies, Ooh. Um, which he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't really need to hope for it. 
But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Our text, our parable, calls us to live out this Romans text in prayer, to position ourselves in prayer when things are difficult, when we are waiting, as we are waiting, to position ourselves in prayer. And so that when we do, when we experience suffering, we would pray. When we are experiencing persecution, we would pray. When we are experiencing despair, we would pray, right? Like that needs to be, this parable is challenging us that prayer is always our initial response, always. Trials, prayer. Difficulty, prayer. Like that, the persistence of this woman, prayer, 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 prayer. I'm guilty of not going there. Anybody? Because I can get fixated on my circumstances. But our parable calls us that in, in the waiting, prayer, prayer, prayer. The widow teaches us that prayer during injustice is the act of looking forward in looking forward to Jesus and anticipating his return. Secondly, our parable challenges us or encourages us to seek provision during injustice. So we have that picture of the judge. Now, often, Jesus uses parables as a comparison, right? The kingdom is like comparison. The kingdom is like the man sowing the seed. The kingdom is like, you know, it's a comparison. Here, it's a contrast. This is a contrast. God is not like the unjust judge. This judge not like God. He's making a point. I am not like this. I am not that unjust judge. He finally, he finally vindicates the woman. That's not me, he's saying. That's not God. No way. Now, we know that, right? Like we see often Jesus is moved to compassion we read in scripture. And as we've been going over Exodus, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, God is often moved when his people cry out, right? Our text in Exodus says that if, if, if widows or orphans, if they're not treated well, and they cry out to me, I'm going to blaze with anger. He has a heart for those who are experiencing injustice. This is who our God is. So is he like the unjust judge? No, absolutely not. But I think, because sometimes I do, and I'm not that special, some of us feel like God's like the unjust judge. Right? Some of us, we've been praying, we've been tenacious, we've done the things, and no answer. And we feel like God is being like that judge who's just waiting out the woman. If I just wait her out, she's going to stop. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Right? That's sort of, sometimes we think, maybe God doesn't care. 
maybe God doesn't care where I, where I work. Maybe does, God doesn't care who I'm going to marry. Like, some of us have convinced ourselves that God doesn't, compa- God doesn't care about our lives. That's not who God is. That's the unjust judge. That's not our God. Because he cares. He cares very much about your finances. He cares very much about your healing in your body. He cares very much about your job. He cares very much about your family. He cares very much about your future spouse. He cares very much about what you're going to do with your life. He cares very much about where you're going to end up, like where your soul will be. He cares very much about you. That's our God. He's not the unjust judge. This parable holds contrast. It's not a comparison. So in our, in our parable, Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night and keep putting, uh, he will keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. God will respond to the cries of his people. You are his people. He will respond to your cries. He will. When I was in grade one, my brother Glenn and I, we went to, oh, what's the school called? Westland School, Westland Public School in Whitby, Ontario. And, um, and we would walk back and forth to school. And I was in grade one and he was in grade five. And he really would just walk me because I was too young to walk on my own. And um, it felt like a very long walk for my six-year-old self. I don't know how long it was, but it felt really long. And after a long, hard day of grade one, I'm tired. And, um, and we started to do this thing where when we would walk, Isaac, could I, could I use you for a second? Okay, could you come here for a second? <laughs> This was not in the notes. Okay. So he's like, yeah, great, like this. Great. So imagine Isaac is Glenn, okay? And so, you know, we would be walking, we'd be walking, and I'd, like, be dragging my backpack. And eventually what I would do is I'd, like, fling myself onto him, and then I'd, like, lay all of my weight on him, and then I'd say, drag me. You can drag, yeah, like, okay, thank you, do it, and I'd like, I'd dead weight on him, like, just dead weight, drag me, and then eventually at some point or other, my grade five-year-old brother uh, would do that to me, and I'd be like, and we'd like drag each other, because we're tired from all the learning that we've done, you know, um, yeah. 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 So <laughs> we would constantly, and then, and like, even as we got older, we would do this to each other. We'd throw our entire body weight onto each other, drag me. And sometimes we often feel like we have to like hang off God and declare, drag me with, right? Like, come on. Could you just provide, 
right? And we get into this, like, drag me, this, you know? But that is one perspective that we could have of God, that we would be dragging, almost like, you know, did anybody hear when you were kids, like, you'd hang on to your dad's leg or, you know? And that's like, for some reason, kids trying to get something, so we just hang on their leg. Like, that's a good way to get something, but we do it. And sometimes we, like, dead body ourselves before God and drag, drag me, right? We think that we have to live somehow, that that's our, that's the, the posture that God's provision is needing. God wants to move in your life. God wants to answer and move in your life. Your needs, he wants that. You don't need to actually convince him to move in your life. You don't need to. Has anybody here ever tried to convince God before? Yeah. Okay, me and Riley, great. We're in it together. (laughs) Great. We're not alone, Riley. We're not alone. They just haven't put their hand up. It doesn't work. We don't need to convince God. We don't. He already wants to move in our lives. And what if we actually addressed God and came into his presence knowing that he wants to hear us? He actually wants to provide. He actually wants to hear you because he's not the unjust judge. That's not who our God is. Now, go back. Like, the text talks about how, like, okay, I will tell you, he will see the injustice, and he will get justice and quickly. Ooh, sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable because we have unanswered prayer. Well, what does this mean? What are we talking about here? And Luke desires to emphasize this this sense of quickness and justice quick. But it's not what we're thinking. It's not the speedy answer that we're looking for. That's not what this is. What this is addressing, because remember, remember our context? This is about Jesus coming back. And Jesus can come back at any time now. Quickly. It's this idea that Jesus will come back soon. Jesus will bring justice very soon. When he comes, justice. Quickly, at any moment, Jesus will return. Quickly. It's not just, ooh, am I going to find out if I get my internship or not? Quickly. No, it's not that. We're talking like capital J justice here. Quickly. By the return of Christ, justice. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting, and we're talking about, am I going to hear, am I going to get my internship, Cindy spoke a wonderful message about God's provision. So if you need some encouragement in that regard, listen to her sermon, because it was fabulous. It was so encouraging. But this parable reminds us that God actually wants to provide for you. God actually cares about the injustices of the world and wants to provide. He wants to. So we're going to pray. 
look to Jesus for a provision. And then our, our last P of the parable shows us or talks about perseverance during injustice. And we see this through the chosen ones. Ooh, we had another, we had some other characters slide in at the end of the parable. The chosen ones. Remember our Romans text, right? That we are waiting. We are waiting while there's, while there's suffering. We are waiting. We are because, and, and we will become, um, we're waiting for, to, to know who the chosen children of God are. That's us, right? Believers. Okay, so the chosen ones that's being mentioned here, that's us. We are included into this parable. We are included in the story. And we are called to faithfulness. We are called to persevere. So, it says, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will God not, or will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, pray? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see them and, their, and get justice quickly. Provision. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Perseverance. Now, when I think of faithfulness and when I think of perseverance, who I see is Grandma Quigley. That's who I see, Grandma Quigley. And Grandma Quigley, oh, what a woman. Um, what a, she's a loaded pistol. Like, she's wonderful. So I have this wonderful memory. Um, I would go and visit my grandma and... Um, and the way that, like, our, our family of five would join my grandma in her one-bedroom apartment uh, and stay with her for a little while, or sometimes I'd get farmed off um, when my parents were, like, working in the summer. I would get farmed off to my grandma, and st I'd stay with her. And there was always, in her bedroom, there was her, like, double-sized bed, um, and then right by the window, there was, like, a pull-out cot. You know the kind that folds up? Yes. So she had one of those, one of those puppies. And so that was always my bed. And I remember um, I would lay on my cot and listen to my grandmother snore uh, whenever I stayed there. And then in the morning, I would wake up and I'd always see my grandma and she would roll off of her bed onto her knees and she'd be praying on the side of her bed every single morning. Every single morning. That's one of the main pictures that I have of Grandma Quigley praying on the side of her bed every day. And as I, as I grew up, like, you know how your grandmas are just always old? She's just always been old. Always been old. And she's just perpetually old. And since she's been perpetually old, she's always said... This old gray Mary ain't what she used to be. Like, that, like, she would always say that. Every time I would go and visit Grandma, I'd say, Grandma, how are you doing? Oh, Kimmy, this old gray Mary ain't what she used to be. Like, every time. I just thought it was cute. And I can't wait to be old and say it. I can't wait. It's wonderful. But that's one of the things that she would always, that I always have a memory 
of, of some of the things that she would do and some of the things that she would always say. And so I always remember her praying at the side of her bed. I remember in her kitchen, she had Micah 6-8 right by, the count, right by um, her cupboards. And I remember that she would always, whenever we would visit, she'd always gather us by the door and pray for us before we go. Did anybody have people that would do that? It's a lost gift. Start doing it. Oh, oh, isn't that wonderful? Let's send people out of our, out of our homes with, by prayer. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and she would always, she would always uh, be praying for us. Always praying. And whenever I'd talk with her on the phone, I'd, she'd always tell me, I've been praying for you. Every day I pray for you, Kimmy. Every day I pray for all of y'all. All of ya, she'd say. And, um, and then as, as she would get older, then older, like she's just old all the time, but I would go and visit her and she'd sit and she'd just get smaller and smaller and smaller as she'd get older and older and older. And so I'd say, Grandma, how you doing? And she'd say, oh, this old gray Mary, which boost me? I'm praying for you, Kimmy. And then right after that, what she'd say is, you know, the Lord's coming back any, any day now. Any day now, the Lord's coming back. Any day now. And that was the, like, for many years, that was our conversation. This old gray mare ain't what she used to be. I'm praying for you. Jesus is coming back any day now. That was it. That's what I think of when I think of faithfulness and perseverance. It's someone who prays. It's somebody who knows Jesus and just can't wait. Can't wait for Jesus to come back. Can't wait. That's where her, her entire life has been built on the fact that Jesus is coming back any day now. I, I don't know if we're there as much anymore. And I think we're not good for it. The other day I was driving down like old Claiborne and like I was just, you know, reading this and thinking and I thought, does my life actually reflect my belief that Jesus is coming back? Does it matter to me? Does it matter to me that Jesus is coming back? It's pretty specific in scripture that Jesus is coming back. It's not specific about dates. It doesn't need to be. Because that would mess us all up. Um, but do we think about Jesus coming back? You know, I don't know if I do think about Jesus coming back enough. I don't think enough. I don't say very often, you know, Jesus is coming back any day now. Because we've, we've, I'm, you know, don't worry about the 20 years in between you and me, but we've grown up in this place where we don't really think about Jesus coming back. We don't talk about that very often. That's for the old people. That's for the Grandma Quigleys. My friends, we need to hear 
We need to hear in scripture. We need to remember that, yes, we celebrate this weekend that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose to life, which means we have life in him, but he is coming back for his church. It's really clear in scripture. This is happening. And I don't know if we talked about it enough. I also think that if we really, if we really held on to the fact that Jesus is coming back any day now, I think we'd live differently. I think we would. I think we would pray prayers that are big and bold because we know that we have a God that provides. I think we'd actually believe it this time. Right? I don't think we'd... Drag me. I don't think we'd do that with God if we actually believed that he was coming. I think we'd say, okay, God, let's do this. You can do this. We need, we need this miracle. We need this healing. I think we'd be far more faith-oriented in our lives if we actually held on to the truth that Jesus is coming back any day now. Any day now. So in Philippians chapter 3, it talks about how we are, um, we are citizens not of this world, but we are citizens of heaven, right? So there's this quote from um, a guy by the name of Howard William. What a name. And it says this. He says, the church exists today as resident aliens, an adventurous colony in society of unbelief. As a society of unbelief, Western culture is devoid of a sense of journey, of adventure, because it lacks belief in much more than cultivating an ever-shrinking horizon of self-preservation and self-expression. Our goal in this life is not to express ourselves. Our goal in this life is to be Jesus' followers is to be citizens of heaven, awaiting to go back home. We are not citizens of this world. Our king is coming back again. And he is going to take us. And we are going to join with him in glory. That's exciting. That's exciting. And that changes the way that we live in this world. Right? It brings a little bit of urgency into our lives, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the only way that we can make sense of this life as followers of Jesus, and my hairdresser yesterday said, life, life's on everybody. I was, I was like, that's brilliant. I love it. Life, life's on everybody. The only way that we can make sense of this life, that life's all over us, is to know that there is a future that is beyond a job, a spouse, a home, a car, that our, that our hope is found in glory. And that glory is coming any day now. So, I'm going to invite the band back. So tonight, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about seeking a provider believing that God is good, that he, that he actually wants to provide. We've talked about persevering 
from the place of knowing that Jesus is coming back. This is what we've, this is our, this is our parable. And so my wonder is, what's God saying to you? What's God saying to you? So that's, I'd love for us to just stand, change positions. We could stand. And I'd love for us to just even be at a place of, of reception. Even now, being in a place of prayer, of saying, Lord, what would you have me to hear tonight? How would you desire, to me, desire for me to respond? And so perhaps, perhaps there's, there is something that you've not been praying for because you've just given up, and maybe that's a point of prayer tonight. Perhaps we can come to a place of actually believing that God is good and is not the unjust judge, but is a gracious and generous provider. Or perhaps, perhaps the Holy Spirit just needs to spark in your imagination a little the joy of the coming of the King. So the band will play. We can respond as the Holy Spirit is leading us for a little bit.